You are listening to a podcast produced by the Jackson School of International Studies and the Ellison Center for Russian, East European, and Central Asian Studies at the University of Washington. This and other podcasts can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information, visit us at jsis.washington.edu slash Ellison Center. My talk is called Russia vs. Gay Ropa. Uh, cultural politics since the conservative turn. And I deliberately pose that as a question because I think it's worth thinking about. This is certainly sort of one narrative that the, the Russian state media in particular pushed, especially in that 2014, 2015 period. And I think it's coming back more with the second invasion. Um, but it's, it's a lot more complicated as is always the case. Uh, there's a lot more kind of dialogue with and cross-pollination with Europe and especially Europe's right that's happening here. And that's kind of what I'd like to present in context. Um, so just to give you a brief outline of what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna sort of give this background of the uh, conservative turn, which is what political scientists and just media uh, people in Russia call this moment around 2012 when the Putin administration becomes a lot more publicly interested in a kind of culturally conservative uh, persona, I guess you could say. Um, and the, the cultural politics of that, especially around gay rights and these new laws about discussing homosexuality in public and women's rights. Um, and then I wanna look at an image from this time. I think it's from 2015 that was floating around the Russian internet. It's a political cartoon. And we'll talk together about kind of how these narratives are being presented visually. Um, and then I'll conclude with some remarks on the paradoxical position of Europe here as on the one hand, a threat to Russia, also a victim that Russian uh, conservatives say they need to save from liberals or migrants or some you know, lobby. Um, and Europe is an inspiration for these politics, both as an example and as a place where some of the funding comes from, um, both Europe and the United States, I should say, the West in sort of Russian political jargon. Um, and then I'll finish with uh, some time for a Q&A. Um, yeah, so just a quick background to kind of what the conservative turn is and how it relates to Russia's um, uh, relationship to Europe. Um, uh, just in the kind of longer durée of the, the recent history, right, integration with Europe was very much on the agenda and discussed openly from Gorbachev on in the Yeltsin period and even the first Putin administrations, they discussed a desire to integrate with Europe, both culturally and sort of politically, economically. They joined the Council of Europe. And it was this period in 1993, um, under Yeltsin then, that they decriminalized homosexuality. And it was specifically a demand to join the Council of Europe. And it was relatively uncontroversial at the time. Some far-right figures criticized it, or a few years later suggested bringing laws against sodomy back, but it was never taken seriously by um, many people sort of in civil society or the state, um, and still isn't, by the way. Um, one of the periods when this seems to shift is in the early 2000s, there are a series of so-called color revolutions in uh, Georgia, Ukraine, Kyrgyzstan, and these are movements that are um, to some extent grassroots popular movements against corruption in these countries. Um, some people argue that they're basically astroturfed by different factions of oligarchs. Um, but the way that the Russian media and the Russian government seems to view these is that they are 
state department or EU sponsored events that NGOs with funding from the European Union or from USAID, which they assume is just the state department uh, are really behind these. So they start to worry about uh, meddling from international organizations based in the EU in their politics. This is when the Putin administration starts describing its, or not the administration so much as United Russia, which Putin was not yet a member of, uh, starts describing their system as sovereign democracy. So where they start to um, move away from reforms aimed at liberal rule of law, they're claiming that what they're doing is protecting sovereignty, right? Um, and this really comes to a head, I would say in, 2011, 2012, and this is when Putin announces that he's going to run for a third term, which is technically unconstitutional. Um, this may be a, a review from earlier things we've heard, um, but they found a way around it. And when he announced that in 2011, there was the first large protest in Moscow. And some people in the English language media just called this the snow revolution because they wore white ribbons to symbolize honest elections, right? Um, that didn't really catch on in Russian as much, but uh, the Russian, the Putin administration certainly viewed this as an attempted culture or uh, color revolution in Russia. And I, I think the media at the time, and I agree with this interpretation, viewed the following kind of increased emphasis on conservative kind of family values rhetoric as a response to this protest movement. Because one of the groups within the protest movement was a visible LGBTQ uh, group. Um, I often marched with them, uh, just to admit my bias here. Uh, I was living in Russia at the time. And they, I think they saw this as an opportunity to split the opposition, um, but also in a longer sort of history, Putin's kind of political strategy has long been to um, portray himself as above the fray, some of these political issues. So even when the issue of gay prides came up, uh, no large scale pride event had been hold, held in Russia. And one of the reasons was the mayor of Moscow always uh, refused permits to them. And he claimed once famously, and I believe 2007, that they were satanic. And when asked about this publicly, Putin said uh, a very typically Putin politician answer, which was, uh, well, I, as the federal president, couldn't possibly just uh, comment on local politicians' uh, capacities. Um, but uh, my view on the rights of sexual minorities is uh, connected with a very important question for Russia, and that's the demographic question. But I stand by and will always stand by the right of people to do in private what they want. So he's kind of playing all sides here, right? He's still portraying himself as something of a liberal, but admitting that he thinks the state's real interest is in promoting heterosexual reproduction um, and kind of refusing to take a position on the pride. But by 2011, 2012, he basically picks up a law that exists in several, well, he, United Russia, the party, and Yelena Mizulina, another member of parliament that's actually from another party, but in the ruling coalition. And they pass or start debating a law on prohibiting propaganda of non-traditional sexual relations with minors. Um, essentially, you can't promote homosexuality or say that homosexuality is, quote, equally socially valid to heterosexuality. And this finally becomes law in 2013. 
Um, and this is one of a series of kind of policy examples where there the administration is increasingly um, actually implementing policies that seem to be coming from the cultural right in Russian civil society and especially the Orthodox church um, who had been advocating these things for a long time. And the administration had been much more at arm's length with them until then. Um, there's also movement on the question of women's rights, uh, which is in some ways more complicated in the Russian context because in the Soviet Union, um, gender equality as an idea was quite popular. Uh, women generally worked outside of the home and to this day in Russia, that's still viewed as a positive achievement. Uh, Putin himself is constantly um, making statements that are somewhat progressive um, in this front, talking about the need to um, uh, address discrimination in the workplace, for example. Um, but the other side of the coin in the Soviet Union was a heavy emphasis on the need to um, increase the birth rate and use sort of state authority to do so, uh, usually by providing subsidies or and in general um, promoting the idea that was uh, broadly popular that there was real biological differences between men and women and that women have a kind of natural role in motherhood. And so this kind of dual relationship to, or you might say a sort of different sort of feminism um, is really where Putin's statements have always been. But since 2012, there's been a lot less discussion of the need to kind of use the state to promote gender equality. And a lot more of these nods toward the more conservative orthodox um, view. And sort of this was the situation when the Maidan revolution happens in Ukraine, which uh, removed a president seen as pro-Russian. And uh, again, the Russian media portrayed this as kind of a color revolution, um, even more extreme. And they claimed that there was a lot of, uh, that this was a kind of violent coup with explicit support from the European Union and the United States. And their, one of their responses, of course, was the annexation slash invasion of Crimea and US European sanctions were the answer to that. And it was in that context that um, these culturally conservative policies started being portrayed more and more as Europe standing up to an imposition of foreign values coming from the West. Um, and I wanted to go to this image, which was floating around the Russian internet at the time. Uh, and this person in the middle is a very stereotypical Ukrainian um, image. I mean, it's offensively so. I suspect this image was initially satire of the official Russian position, but it became popular enough to be shared by people on both sides. Uh, so this is someone in kind of Cossack traditional costume uh, with a choice in front of them. And I wanted to pause on this image for a minute and just um, have you all discuss like what you see here, like what is the narrative that they're trying to portray? Feel free to jump in if you have a comment. Well, is he a skinhead? Probably right wing. <laughs> 
so no, actually, this is just the the traditional Cossack, like one of the groups in Ukraine that have become part of Ukrainian national identity were um, kind of escaped peasants who had a sort of different social status in the empire. And this is their traditional like hair style. I think you see a lot of elements of Russian history. And like on the right hand side, we've got the astronaut, we've got kind of the the mosque, the great um, religious institution we've got that looks like an image out of like early Russian history on the horses kind of reminds me of something I've shown my students in the innocent children you see the proud weapon in the bottom corner which looks like it's sort of harkening back to World War II as the great patriotic war um, I mean obviously I think we're all familiar with that sort of better side you know the devil and the angel which you listen with do and then they've loaded on all these images of the the satanic side like they've taken all these images like the rainbow flag and the two men and all with the associating with satan and i guess i mean i'm taking a leap here but i have to say that what disturbs me also about this is i see connections to some of the more extremist religious groups in our own country as well that this is like a classic extremist version of characterization on sexuality and choice. Yeah, great. Does anybody want to add to that before we move on? Are they are they putting the European Union on the side? Is that what is that what I'm noticing too? With I see that above the rainbow flag and then Hitler. Is it all like melded into one in this image? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so like you've both noted, they're just kind of jamming a bunch of stuff together. That's fairly contradictory, right? We have the European Union, the gay pride flag, Hitler, like queer looking people, uh, there's drugs at the bottom. Like I said, this is all the same together yeah. thing. Never mind that the Nazis actually murdered queer people. <laughs> like, never mind that drug addiction and death by drug overdose is actually higher in Russia than many EU countries. Yeah. Um, does and also the, on the Russian side, it's contradictory, right? We have Soviet space program and churches like next to each other, as if it's all a coherent civilization. Yeah. Does the fifty on the bottom of bottom left mean something? I'm, I'm not. I'm not catching what that means. You know, I'm not really sure. Um, it's it's money. I think there's this association oh. of what we wanted from the EU was money, but all of this comes with it. Yeah. Or it's just there because there's also a pile of cocaine. I don't know. Okay. Well, it looks like it's a euro bill. Yeah. You see that family on the angelic side, like multiple children, you know, coming from one set of parents and the, the father in particular and the mother strike me as looking almost 19th century in terms of like their depiction with the, she's got something over her hair and he's got the beard. It reminds me of like the era of like Dostoevsky or something, you know, this image. Oh. Totally, yeah. And they're definitely like in the countryside somewhere, two parents and many children, right? So like I said, Putin has for a long time, even in his more liberal days, talked about the demographic question, the need for Russians to reproduce more Russians. Um, but also the Orthodox Church has been much more explicit in the kind of duty of families uh, to do this. Um, but yeah, so... I just wanted to briefly outline as well the kind of strange place of Europe in this. Um, and this image is obviously um, very stark, right? The, the Russian administration would never like 
sort of say something this direct usually, although this stuff will float around in Russian state media. Uh, the Russian state media looks a lot like Fox News in terms of tone and the types of um, issues you hear on it. Um, so there's a lot of, um, let's say, I would say exaggerated or disproportionate coverage of say pedophilia in Europe, for example. Um, there you know, was a small group in the, the Netherlands that were arguing for reduction or removal of the age of consent. Um, this is a debate that goes in Europe back to the late 60s. And you know, the Russian media is very interested in this. Um, in Sweden, I think there was similarly. They call it the, they will, you know, call it the pedophile lobby and uh, just cover this very heavily. Um, but like the position of the sort of Putin administration of United Russia being sometimes at Arns Lake, sometimes contradictory on these issues, the role of Europe is super complicated as well. Um, so on the one hand, Europe is often portrayed as the victim of something from outside of Europe as sort of Christian Europe or traditional Europe as positioned as a victim of out of touch elites of the European Union itself of quote, liberal tolerance run amok um, or of a gay lobby and not so much in government direct government sources, but um, sometimes in like pundits will very quickly go to Jews and Masons as the source of this, right? So it's actually an old conspiracy theory repackaged. Um, then there's Europe as the enemy, of course, the EU or EU-based NGOs, uh, which are seen as kind of a, a way of foreign governments to influence Russian civil society. And this is how they get to uh, portray the opposition to Putin and the um, protest movements as a, a fifth column, as an outside force. Um, and, the, and the European Court of Human Rights to which they were subject until very recently when they uh, left the Council of Europe. Um, as imposing values on Russia from the outside, right? Um, and NATO is the military threat, of course. They slip between, is this Europe or the United States or both? Um, but then there's the problem of Europe as the inspiration. Uh, so a lot of this rhetoric, and I sort of, my interpretation of this anti-gay propaganda law, quote unquote, I'm constantly <laughs> in quotes in this whole talk, right? Um, the, the language of that and the concept really comes from something called the anti-gender movement, which we don't talk about a lot in the US, although we are starting to see its effects in the US as well. Uh, but the anti-gender movement comes from uh, certain corners of the Catholic church. Uh, Joseph Ratzinger in the 1980s was very interested in this problem. And he thought that a lot of what we now see as kind of basic feminist concepts or even just social science concepts about what is gender uh, as a kind of social role or a socially constructed way of being masculine or feminine that changes over time. They see that as a radical uh, kind of plot against Christianity and the family as a challenge to the church's view of complementary uh, God-given sex, biological slash theological sex, right? And they have increasingly organized uh, something that they call anti-gender or opposition to gender ideology. And like I said, it goes back to the 80s and 90s in especially Catholic Europe. It's become very popular in Poland and Hungary. Hungary recently copied Russia's anti-gay propaganda law um, and then talked about it at CPAC in Texas. I think it was Texas, um, somewhere in Southwest US, not very long ago. Um, 
So this idea actually has its roots in Catholic Europe. Um, and Pope Francis, the supposedly more moderate sort of liberal Pope on these issues is also uh, very much opposed to quote, gender ideology. Um, and this was a law, by the way, in Thatcher's Britain, which was only repealed in 2003. Uh, and we have a so-called no promo homo laws in multiple US states. I don't know if anybody has taught in Utah, for example, but you similarly cannot say that homosexuality is equally valid as heterosexuality in 11 US states um, in the classroom. And we of course had this don't say gay law in Florida, which is not new, but actually uh, something similar to these other laws that have existed for some time. Um, and then there's also the problem of European and American religious leaders um, from family values organizations like uh, Dr. Dobson's focus on the family, which was um, a bigger uh, sort of issue of concern in the 1990s. They've been organizing in Russia since the 1990s, and uh, they have been sort of building cross-denominational uh, anti-gay, anti-feminist movement with Orthodox leaders. So while the Orthodox Church talks as if they are very opposed to all Christianity other than Orthodoxy and very concerned about the West, they're also learning very much from Western uh, Christian conservatives about using this issue for political organizing, which is what I think is really happening here, right? Um, so there's a lot of cross-pollinating going on here. And you can see this in the, you know, some activists in Europe uh, have traced the kind of funding of the anti-gender movement in Europe. And there's a tendency there, like there is in the United States to portray now a lot of right-wing movements is kind of astroturfed by Russian intelligence, that this is a kind of Russian fake news movement. Um, but when they looked at the funding, they found that 60% of the funding for anti-gender groups today comes from Europe itself. Um, and the rest of it is split between Russia and the United States. Uh, so it's not sort of coming from Russia to Europe, it's all entangled and I would say sort of cross-pollinating. So to kind of conclude, I would say this kind of clash of civilizations rhetoric that's very useful and increasingly popular to explain Russian actions like Ukraine invasion. And I wanna say useful and popular in Russia for the Russian government. Um, but it masks a more complicated reality in which the cultural politics of opposition to gay and women's rights are framed as traditional values. Um, and this is used for purposes of political mobilization on both sides, in Europe, on the right, and in Russia. Um, and in sort of cultural politics terms, the Russian administration is not that far from Western conservatives. As somebody pointed out, even in the image, it was already apparent as sort of absurd as this one is. Um, and on, really on the issue of women's rights, by the way, they're even more moderate, arguably, like reproductive rights in Russia are, st are more ahead of uh, some US states now. Uh, they, the only re restrictions they put on abortion, which came very recently, it's uh, I believe 2011 they began, um, is 22 weeks. So abortion is legal up to 22 weeks. And then there's like a mandatory waiting period and um, again, you can't propagandize, quote unquote, abortion by claiming publicly that it's 100% safe as a procedure, for example. Um, but other than that, Russians are quite, um, like as a whole, according to surveys, uh, behind women having a right to choose. And that's something that at least the Putin administration is still willing to say is something the state should support, um, just as an example. <laughs> 